This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist, and if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Block M. All right, welcome to Out of the Blue from the Block M Podcast Network, part of the Fan First Sports Network, a podcast that you take home, put it in a pot with some boiling water, and baby, you got a stew going. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate. Andy, the man who invented the sloppy steak and the bag of spaghetti for all of your on-the-go spaghetti needs. How the hell are you, sir? I'm good, man. You know, I feel really refreshed this week, like having some actual football, like Michigan football back in my life. So it feels like have some more vigor this week. I'm ready to go. You sound like a man with vigor. Update us on the sights and sounds. You were able to attend this game. Looked awesome. The broadcast just looked, the the light show looked dialed in, looked like a freaking cathedral, man. One of just America's modern marvels. Uh, How did it look from the inside? It was tremendous. A lot of the kinks have been worked out since the Bowling Green game. Tailgate was lively. Everyone just felt like so happy and joyous. Like there was no stress. Everyone knew Purdue was going to be pushovers. And just, you know, a lot of elation to have football again, to be going to the game. It's the second to last home game of the season. I think fans are really appreciating that. And just like a very happy, fun atmosphere to be in. Second to last home game of the season. Uh, The last one? Well, that's coming up. I can't wait to talk about that one. You and I will at least be in the vicinity. I know you're going into the game. Looking forward to talking about that. But let us talk about what we witnessed on the field on Saturday. First, any quick hits that you wanted to touch on? Yes, um, Michigan hockey. Um, It it was sad. Um, (laughs) uh, This team is very close to being elite. Went to Madison, Wisconsin for a battle of first place in the Big Ten last weekend. Dropped both games in heartbreaking fashion. The first one gave up two third-period goals in a 29-second span uh, with about six minutes to go. The second game, Michigan lost with six seconds remaining, two to one, on a goal Wisconsin scored. So they got the sweep, got all six points, sole possession of first. It's not all doom and gloom, though. Like, this Michigan team, to me, is ahead of schedule still. Like, they need to get right. They're sitting at 5-4 and four right now. Need to figure some things out. Have Minnesota coming to our barn this coming weekend for a two-game set, which is critical to at least get three or four points out of this weekend. So, a lot to look forward to there. But I've been just very impressed where this team is at development-wise. And um, speaking to their development particularly, it's no surprise why their recruiting classes are picking up because younger players are seeing what Brandon Arado is doing with all these young guys. And now they're coming. Hence why the 2007 birth year. So two years away, that class is loaded with like five, five stars coming to Michigan. 
That is very exciting. I love that hockey just has their own lingo, just doing things their own way, like coming to our barn, bringing their twigs. I've like, been watching too much. The... I've been watching way you, too much hockey. <laughs> you've, you've been dialed in. You're over there like, yeah, he put him in the crock pot for about three minutes, 13 seconds. And I'm like, sweet. What does that mean? A little, a little stick to tick, some good puck out there. You know, we got pucks in deep, you know, hit around time. It's like, Andy, what are you saying to me? Why do you have a Boston accent now? <laughs> Yeah, just so long as you don't start sounding like a Canadian, we can continue to do the oh, podcast. And God, would, God help you if you ever sound like a Frenchman. I mean, you're you can telling be French me, on your own time, but <laughs> just just don't do it in front of me. If I sound like a Frenchman, I think you and my fiance would both beat me up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'd both leave you. That's for sure. That's, that's, <laughs> un, that's unacceptable. Um, yeah, man, losing with six seconds left is absolutely brutal. I just don't know how I would respond if a Michigan football team ever lost to anyone in the last six seconds. Uh, luckily, a longer season with hockey, so some chance to rebound from that. Uh, Michigan basketball will be kicking off here. That's kicking off this week, which is exciting, less exciting. Michigan acting head coach Phil Martelli confirms that Jace Howard and Jalen Llewellyn not be in uniform for tomorrow. We're recording this on a Monday. By the time this comes out, it will be tonight's game season opener against UNC Asheville. So won't still won't know exactly what we've got with this team for a few weeks in at least need uh, these pieces to get to gel together before even then we'll have some type of idea of what this team could be. We're going to have Kellen on either this week or next week. Kellen boss at mazenbrew.com. He's great at breaking all this stuff down nope. so that we don't have to the goat at doing all that. So looking forward to talking some mission Michigan basketball, even if slightly less enthused than years past. Uh, anything else we need to touch on, sir, get into this game. Uh, yeah, let's get into the game, man. Let's not waste any more time. Let's get to the real meat of this. <laughs> Feel bad for hockey and basketball. We're wasting time here. We've got Michigan <laughs> Purdue that we need to cover. Michigan Purdue, which was a 41 to 3 victory, the most points Michigan has allowed all season, and a spread that was ever so slightly not covered by Purdue. Purdue came in with a pretty good game plan, all things considered, for a two and six program that uh bowl eligibility was a just a, a long shot before this game. We officially ended that for them. Look, we were up 14 with nine minutes in making a statement that was whatever happening was off the field was going to stay off the field not going to happen what was uh what was going on on the field what was your thirty thousand foot view other than kind of those key talking points that i hit already uh, th this was Michigan's statement to keep the main thing the main thing i wrote an article this morning about um, you can find amazingbrew.com full of jokes including randall weems and mel tucker handy jokes so be sure to check that out and give it a laugh <laughs> Um, Gotta have that. It was all about making a statement and sometimes to a detriment. So Michigan goes up 17, nothing in the first three possessions, and then just kind of starts to force the issue a little bit, uh, specifically offensively, like defensively, it was pretty lights out, but offensively, like every throw just seemed to be like middle fingers to everybody. Like, Oh, we're doing this now. Oh, we're doing this. And you know, mistakes happen, but I say mistakes happen and they often still managed to score 41 points scored on three of their final four drives of the game put an exclamation point on this, found their rhythm. So I can nitpick all I want, but it was a 28-point victory that felt much bigger, and Purdue only had one drive that extended longer than five plays, and that was in garbage time. That's well said, what you said right up there off the top, is you can want something too much, like mm -hmm. trying too hard, like going to 
approach a girl up at the bar like they smell that desperation on you you know just like you're trying too hard you want it too bad that's never gonna work and i think that that was a pretty good comparison to what we were saying i like the way that you laid that out it did seem like michigan just really really wanted it on offense they wanted to make a statement even though if they would have just came in and done what they had been doing i think that statement enough uh 41 to 13 victory isn't in fact still a statement and there's also this you know michigan at home at night you and i were talking about this a little bit off air like you don't always know what you're gonna get with the michigan team in that setting like they're sitting around all day i I can't prove this this is just my complete going off vibes theory here that michigan is at its best at noon granted we have way more data points at noon but if you did like a per how michigan executes during the day versus at night i would think that there would be like some stark contrast i mean just look back to recent history so you have this game uh the bowling green game earlier in the year Last year, Michigan stayed at home. You and I were there two years ago, Indiana and Washington at home. Uh, The one exception would be Hawaii at home last year, but like, come on now. It's Hawaii, and it was in the midst of a quarterback battle, so there was a little bit more edge there for the first and second units. But, no, I think your your theory is right. Like, on the road, it's more a business-like approach. Like, we're here. We're here to kick ass, take care of it, get home. When you're playing in the big house, you know, you're so out of rhythm. Your friends are out going to parties, doing different stuff, and you're just sitting around all day waiting for a game where you know that you can sleepwalk and still dominate. And I was like, I mean, they didn't sleepwalk through this game, but they went out there, dominated, found some mistakes and things to remedy. But it's like, like to your point, man, like they knew they were going to get through this unscathed. Yeah, that'd be a good question. Well, we were supposed to be talking with a Michigan football player this week. That individual <laughs> will not be named, uh, stood us up, but would love to ask them, like, what do you do all day? on a mission when you're kicking off at seven o'clock at night like i imagine there's a walkthrough i imagine like you have some free time but pretty much i would have to imagine your entire day is sucked up by that that's just got to be weird and not the same as getting in early and just kind of getting right into the swing of things for those noon games so uh, this is something that i might have to start tracking as the michigan performances at night versus during the day and look Saying all this to say, Michigan still played very well. They executed their game plan. But like you mentioned, on offense, there were a few things that need to be cleaned up. So let's keep it on the offensive side. Uh, Man of the match for this one, I stayed with JJ. As my prediction, you went with Blake Corum. You were closer. But I have to say, does Roman Wilson get the nod here for man of the match for nine receptions, 143 yards, just a safety blanket? out there for JJ and Roman Wilson across the middle. Like when you see him doing that mesh concept across the middle, it's over. It's over. Like it's, it's a completion. He's so good at working across the middle. Sharon Moore does so many creative things to get them open as well. Either using like zipper motion or cheetah motion, just uses a bunch of different things out there to create separation, create mismatches, give Michigan leverage advantages, everything. And he's just Roman Wilson is just so reliable. Like he and JJ are completely in sync. He always looks to him for an easy completion, just quietly put up. Was it nine for 143 in this? It's just effortless at times for him. And we need to say this at the top as well. Like Michigan was working with a limited playbook in this game. They were trying to show as little as possible, keep it real close, get in and out. There was very no JJ runs at all. That was by design. There was a lot of things also kept out of the passing game by design, just with a lot of eyes on this heading into Penn State next week. It's like, let's just play it close to the chest. Play what we know, play some of the hits, get in, get out, and Roman Wilson's one of the hits. 
Roman Wilson definitely one of the hits sitting at just under 600 yards receiving on the season. Uh, got a third of his receiving total in this one game, but sitting at 10 touchdowns, still not on the Bolitnikoff watch list. Uh, we don't have a what the hell is going on segment this week, but just know that's still what the hell is going on. Um, I, I assume there's somebody that's on opium that's in the, the Bolitnikoff uh, naming committee. I don't know, but that's a that's a clerical error. It's it's so bad, man. It doesn't make any sense for that. But you're talking about uh, my man of the match, Corum, in this one had three rushing touchdowns and quietly has 16 on the year and like doesn't play in, doesn't play in fourth quarters. Just has 16. He's just four off. Hassan Haskins' pace, like with three games remaining, it's unbelievable what he does and how good he is at the goal line. Like the offensive line is better at the goal line, but Corum especially. I mean, he dove from three yards out that's nine feet away he dove over the pile into the end zone a, a quiet 16 is like uh what does she weigh 650 700 pounds but yeah but it's a quiet 650 it's a light <laughs> it's a light seven she carries it well you know i don't really see it you know <laughs> you don't really see it yeah quiet 16 touchdowns for blake Corum, leading the nation just an absolute stud even though i think it's it's fair to ask when we're going to start seeing those explosive runs uh had the 50 yard yarder against bowling green early in this season had the 40 yarder against minnesota but just looking at last year's explosive run plays certainly we're getting to that second level more consistently had his longest run of the year blake quorums was a 61 yarder against penn state last year so something to keep in mind that it just feels like we're due for one of these to just back breaking runs to eventually break free but um you know that also will play into the offensive line conversation which we're going to have to have here as well and a lot of it in this game too is not having the threat of the outside run like jj was instructed not to pull the ball for anything although the edges for purdue were crashing so hard with reckless abandon hence why samaj morgan was able to just walk into the end zone later in the game like michigan wasn't testing the edges purdue was selling out like in to stop it in the middle like offensive line we'll get to that about some improvements but like when you're not testing them on the outside like that, this is going to happen. And Michigan was okay with that in this game. But like against Penn State this week, we'll get into it later on in our second podcast. You're going to see the full bevy of plays, the pin and pulls, the counters, the reverses, the duo reads, the zone reads, the split zones. You're going to see everything against them. And after that game, I'll have a better stance about where I feel with Michigan's run game. Because, I mean, this time last year, we're running where the pass was. And then as soon as we needed it against Ohio State, you found the pass game. Yeah, it's pretty wild that we're this deep into the season and you and I are like, finally, an opponent we're going to get some like real tape on. Like we haven't opened up the the playbook at all, just given yeah. the schedule that we've had so far. A little bit, you know, they have opened it up. I mean, they opened it up like against Minnesota here and there. But for the most part, uh, it has been pretty pedestrian. Uh, all right, sir, let's talk swinging doors moment. I would have to say for me, this goes to the Samaj Morgan touchdown. Um, there's a couple options here on offense that you could hit, but things have gotten a little stagnant there for a while stuck on 20 to 6 for a while in the third quarter Michigan's streak of third quarter dominance was being put to the test there so it was great to see him get on the scoreboard hold Purdue scoreless in the third keep that going and just great for Samaj Morgan like we're to the point now where I think folks probably if we took a poll would anticipate Samaj Morgan to be the leading receiving receiver threat for next season. I think he's already brought like put himself into that conversation. Assuming Cornelius Johnson and Roman Wilson move on, I think is that what we're looking at now with Samaj Morgan, like the number one threat as soon as next year? 
I would say the number one threat for a receiver. I'd say the number one threat is still Colston Loveland. But I, I definitely think Samash has to be the guy, man. He plays just so fearlessly for a freshman with how small he is. Like, he just such a fighter, just so tenacious out there. He's explosive with the ball in his hands, makes the right plays, takes care of the football, which is one of the biggest things. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's a great play. My turning point, it's, it's much earlier on, but I thought the game ended right here. And I almost feel like I'm stealing from you with this one. It's the Will Johnson pick. Up 14 nothing. He just reaches over well, on That's this. defense. We're doing offense. Oh, right? okay, okay, okay. Well, we know where I'm going on defense. Uh, offense, I'm going to say second possession. Like you're staying in the scripted, but you go, you punch it in, you go up 14 nothing. I think at that point it was already done. Like if Michigan's up 7 nothing, not the end of the world, but Michigan goes up 14 nothing. I think they're almost impossible to come back against the style of offense they run. Nice. Um, good transition to to your favorite drive or sequence. And look, I know we try not to give too much credence to the opening drive because that should be your best looking drive every single time. Yes. It's scripted. You had a week to plan the first drive. So it just makes sense that that would look really good. But with that Donovan Edwards 40 yard completion down the sidelines, I'm taking it. I'm taking that as my my drive slash moment. Uh, that was just great to see for Donovan Edwards. Like that was his biggest play. I believe that was his biggest play of the season it has to be right yeah yeah 36 yards i think 37 yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so he hasn't had anything close to that so just great to see um you know for him for the for donovan's sake and to get the offense in rhythm also they were late getting somebody lined up on him could have thrown it to him right away but instead we're like no no, no i still trust donovan to absolutely cook this linebacker he did it's jj threw a perfect ball just a beautiful beautiful moment would love to see more of that moving forward it's excellent play calling because last year Purdue ran a ton of man-to-man against Michigan. And that was what they were trying to do early on in this one. But big reminder, Michigan didn't have Donovan Edwards in that game last year. He did not play. He was injured. He was, he was sitting out the contest. So having him out there is just a drastically different chess piece. So Michigan came out in 22 personnel with uh, Edwards and Mullings, which you saw a ton of in this game, which was a nice new wrinkle and both tight ends, but they were lined up like in the slot. And then they flank Edwards out to give him like a 10 personnel look with the tight end split. And then Purdue is scrambling, pointing, trying to get the linebacker out there. I don't know what the cover one safety was doing. Maybe just having a snack and sitting there. But that whole play was designed to him. Everybody else is working underneath. Edwards gets it. If he's a receiver, I think he walks that in for a touchdown. And he's probably a little pissed at himself he didn't score. But great play, excellent ball. And then obviously Corum punches it in. I'm going to stay on the scripted with you. I'm going to go to the second drive, the one I talked about a little bit. I love that it was uh, preceded by the Cornelius Johnson reverse. The only other outside run we saw until later in the game was Samaj. Uh, CJ takes the reverse, gets it all the way down to the two-yard line. Corum punches it again to put Michigan up 14-0. I love the execution at that point because it felt so flawless and easy and just smooth every play. Just It was just at such a high level. Sharon Moore, when he's in his scripted bag, is tough to beat. Yeah, I was talking with my dad about how I would love to see some of these runs uh, from the running backs break to the outside more, but those runs to the inside with some of those motions attached are what allows those outside runs, those reverses to CJ and later to Samaj Morgan. You get yeah. motion, you get people just going the absolute wrong way, getting on their wrong foot on the balls of their feet, and then all of a sudden you you break them like that. But it would be nice to see the the running backs work to the outside more, but that's a great call out with the, uh, the CJ... Uh, reverse as well 
All right, sir. Youngster who showed something we already touched on, Samaj Morgan. Uh, did want to say, though, his built-in nickname that like he came out of the box with is the Jukebox. Uh, you were not watching the uh, the broadcast, but apparently that's his nickname. No notes on that. Zero <laughs> notes. That is perfect. I got nothing. That is, that is so good. Apparently, uh, Devin Gardner shared an anecdote this morning about him in high school that they're starting quarterback out. So Samaj was playing quarterback for a game. And like it was a fourth down or something, and the coach wanted to kick a field goal. And Samaj was like, no, he waved them off, called his own play, and threw a touchdown pass. Like, if if that isn't worthy of the nickname Jukebox, I don't know what is. Absolute dog. All right. Yeah. The legend of Samaj Morgan is growing. Uh, the other youngster that we've been keeping an eye on, and really on the offensive side, the only two that we can really touch on outside of the one brief Benjamin Hall moment was Tyler Morris and wasn't the best Tyler Morris day does some stuff as a receiver that I do like, but as a punt returner, just too inconsistent and hasn't taken that step forward. Um, does some of the stuff that AJ Henning does where he's just a little too trepidatious um, as the ball's getting close to him. But the difference would be AJ Henning was just this physical specimen that could make things happen. And it might not look the best or the safest, but it always ended up okay. And it didn't end up all right already for Tyler Morris there. So, uh, you know, just something he's going to need to clean up if he wants to be the starting punt returner. But as a receiver, I do think he's going to be good. Yeah. As a punt returner, Morris is kind of on my shit list right now. Like you have to, you have to make the play. You have to either catch it or alert your guys where the ball is. But firstly, the ball should not be touching the ground there. Like he could have run up and caught it, but uh, we'll get into special teams later. As a receiver, I showed some things. There was one exit motion, third down conversion where he looked super fluent, but it's still just new. Like he may be a sophomore, but like in my mind, he's still a freshman. Just learning everything, getting these routes and these reps. Like I think he and Samaj Morgan, in in my mind, are on the same level just because his reps were so limited last year. I believe he only played in like like four catches or something, like very little use in the offense. So it's gonna take him some time. So I try to keep that in mind when just critiquing and criticizing. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about him here amongst youngsters here, and really there's the only two that we can mention. But yeah, Samaj Morgan being a true freshman and Tyler Morris being in his second year with the program, it does appear that Samaj Morgan is already taking a leap ahead of him. So it'll be fun to watch that competition as those two take a lot of the touches that Roman Wilson and Cornelius Johnson are going to vacate. Uh, all right, sir, let's talk about the offensive line here. This was, in my opinion, the worst offensive line performance of the season, which this is still a potentially elite offensive line. So their worst day is better than 94% of college football's best day. That being said, the tackles were pretty inconsistent in this one. JJ taking too many hits, particularly in the second half of this game. I would just like to see more cohesion. Uh, communication wasn't where it needed to be based on what I saw my second rewatch. I've only gotten like a quarter in. Um, so I didn't even know about the Tyler Morris play. Cause I somehow missed that on the first watch. So inexcusable by me, but uh, we'll catch it on the We'll catch it on the rewatch, but on the first watch through of that offensive line, I wasn't overly impressed and there's some things to clean up. What were your thoughts? I thought so as well, a lot to clean up, but also let's keep in mind, like while it's Purdue, uh, their edges, both of them, are tied for first in the Big Ten in sacks, like as a duo. So like with two guys like that, similar to like Hutch and Ojabo, you can't slide one way and just like take out the guy like, and just take him out of the equation with the slide and the protection because someone's still going to be singled up on the other side. Like you have to account for it. Someone's always going to be one-on-one. And 
you know, there were some misses there. I thought the offensive line was rusty, but I thought you know, held up pretty well, including uh, with the increase in competition. Some of the sacks were on JJ. I did think this was a very bad Drake Nugent game at center. Thought some of the communication was off, some rust was there, and it just looked more like they thought they were going to dominate by showing up and like the edges, like they knew about them. They weren't really giving them the respect. Purdue did a lot of movement, a lot of stunts, a lot of cool things because Ryan Walters, like, say what you will about his press conferences and his handshake demeanor. He knows how to coach up a defense. Um, so they did some things that confused him, but I think it's a good wake-up call before you play a team like Penn State, which is so movement-reliant and heavy. Oh, Ryan Walters was big mad after the game. I mean, that was that What was did he Tom's think was going to happen? <laughs> Yeah, right? Like, would we want to embrace on the 50-yard line? Like, come on. Yeah, he he immediately entered my lower tier. We're going to have to, like, do our ranking of our favorite Big Ten coaches that we've we've come up with these whole backstories and, and reasons for liking and disliking these guys. But you just made my shit list, Ryan Walters. I hope you remember this. Just, I don't forget. Just so stupid. And, like, it's always going to come back around. We'll see what it does. But uh, did a good job with the defense out there, like I said, in, in the front. But it's something Michigan's going to have to improve. Otherwise, they're going to be in trouble against Penn State. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to get into that breakdown because that's 100% where my eyes went was, oh, if you play like this against Penn State, I don't know if you win. We still probably do win because of our defense against their offense but you're going to make things a lot harder on yourself if you come out with that exact performance against Penn State. So those things that uh, we need to clean up need to be cleaned up in a hurry. Uh, let's go to the quarterbacks and receivers here. One thing I wanted to mention with JJ is uh, very dialed in early coming out of the gates. Started to get a little sluggish once he took some hits. Is there any concern? Because this was something that we diagnosed with CJ Stroud is you start hitting him and the accuracy dips. We haven't seen JJ take a lot of hits. Is that something you worry about after seeing him start to it's not like the ball was fluttering? It was just timing was a half second off, it seemed like in like the third quarter of this game. No, it's just footwork. That's all it is. It's the footwork. Um, he was just like losing some of his fundamentals, trying to make plays and just trying to think about making the, having the FU moment, the big play, instead of just taking what's there, moving around, being smart within the offense. That was the only issue. Like, I don't think the hits have anything to do with it. We've seen this kid take a beating and just get up and keep firing. And like, it's not like he threw interceptions or anything. Like his off game is completing 65% of passes for three over 330 yards. Like that's a very high bar. Can't argue with that. It was still a solid day all in all from JJ McCarthy. You mentioned 24 to 37, 335 average nine yards through the air, no touchdowns, but no interceptions, which was crucial yep. and moved the chain when he needed to. So look, I agree with you. I just got to pose these questions. I got to put it out there for you to refute. I don't think it was the hits either. Um, timing did seem to be a little off, though, and there are just games where it comes in and it's like, oh, JJ's dialed in, which I would say is 85% of the games yeah. uh, of the JJ McCarthy crew. But then there's other games like the Bowling Green game and to some extent this game where it's like, just a little bit behind AJ Barner, just a little bit above, you know, a, a little too high for CJ, even though CJ should have caught that. Uh, but yeah, you know what it, I'm saying? Like so, a lot of balls behind receivers it, in this. Some game. of, yeah, the Barner one, I don't know if that was his fault or Barner's fault. Like yeah, it, it just looked, been Barner's it looked fault, a little yeah. off. Like again, I think it's just the time off, man, coming out of the bye week, just uh, your rhythm's a little bit off, doing some different things. And then it was nice. I would feel a lot worse if he didn't have the close to the game that he did. 
with three of the final four possessions going for touchdowns and him consistently finding Roman, finding Samaj, and just driving the ball down the field. Yards per attempt is still where you want to see it. And, I mean, anytime we see him struggle, though, he always comes back with a vengeance. So I'm looking forward to the next chapter. Oh, 100%. I think this is low-key yeah. a great thing that yes. we struggled a little bit because they know exactly what needs to happen. The, the get-right game is mm-hmm. next week against Penn State. So totally agree with you there. Uh, what'd you see from the running backs? I know we already talked about Blake Corm, 16 touchdowns. Donovan Edwards, we discussed his uh, ability as a receiver out of the backfield. Probably should have had a touchdown on that. I love the concentrated effort to, to try and get Donovan Edwards into the end zone. Like you can tell the team wants this. It is very much a conscious thing that they're trying to do. Uh, I love that as far as just a togetherness standpoint. Overall, I thought this was a good running back day, but uh, 15 carries for 44 yards for Corm isn't going to inspire you, but the three touchdowns, that that's really all that matters. Yeah, and Edwards, it was so nice to see him get in the end zone late in this game and get one on the board after, Pat, after not getting in on the receiving touchdown, so you know everyone was excited for that. Uh, I love the formations they were doing with Khalil and Donovan out there at the same time. That was a nice new wrinkle I alluded to at the top. Just doing some really cool things with those two backs. We've seen it with Corman Edwards before, so this is just a further evolution of what they're going to do. Um, speaking of Mullings, he was backed uh, for the first time in a couple games. Looked good, looked healthy, running very hard. Um, yeah, now I, I liked what I saw from them. Most of my complaints in the run game always come back to the offensive line not holding a block for an extra second or Purdue overloading the interior of the box and Michigan's stubbornness to not test the edges because, yeah, we really don't need to to beat you by four scores. Look, if I'm a defensive coordinator and you run out with 22 personnel, and that includes Loveland, Edwards, Corum, and Barner, I'm not even going to try. I'm just going to plug in a toaster and wade into a retention pond. Like, I'm giving up immediately. There's there's so many more things they're going to do. Like, I know there's a Donovan Edwards wildcat or something sitting there. We know we can throw the football. Like, they're going to do a ton of things with formations and personnel and they're going to mix up rules and spread you out and bring you in. And I think we're going to see just more and more of that in the coming weeks. And I love that Sharon Moore is back there like a mad scientist, like mixing different chemicals. And like, if I use three running backs here and bring this wide receiver in the backfield, he's like stirring his pot and outcomes like an awesome play. Like I love what he's doing. (laughs) Quite literally in the lab. I love yes. it. Doing, doing his thing. Uh, the tight ends. This was a good tight ends game. Once again, we talked about the drop by Barner. That I mean, we're nitpicking with the tight ends game, particularly because as blockers, I don't think that there was a ton that fell onto them. Um, you know, the, the, the tight end should not be having to do the brunt of the work. Tight end should be helping in the blocking game. Um, Max Bredesen is freaking incredible as a blocker. Yes. Uh, definitely yes. popped in this game as a blocker too, as well, um, because there were some other guys that weren't getting it done. So when you have one guy that's blocking his ass off, it really shows. Uh, what were your other tight end thoughts in this game? Uh, it's a quiet day. Um, the usage was really down from the Michigan State game. And again, I think that was intentional. Like I think they're so like either health wise over the middle against Purdue, which was shown to be a little bit of a dirty team at times. They only had one instance when it resulted in 30 penalty yards in one play, you know, only happened once. Uh, so I think they were just doing a lot to preserve them. Like, you know, you'd see some usage here and there, but you weren't getting the the box outs like in the seam, like you saw against Michigan State. You weren't getting any of those routes manned up on linebackers. So I think more of that is coming. This is just kind of like, okay, line uh, tight ends. Let's get through this. Let's keep everybody healthy on to Penn State where we're going to need you. 
Agreed. Yeah, kind of a quiet day, but a quiet day for Michigan tight ends is still better than most teams in the country. So yeah. uh, Colston Loveland was the second leading receiver in this one. So good day for him as far as uh, through the air on that. Uh, let's do special teams before we take a break real quick. Special teams needed to be touched on. I had written in my notes before the turnover that Michigan special teams, I can't remember one time saying like special teams needs to make a play here this year. And let me, let me say what I'm saying. Like that is something that Iowa counts on. Like that is Iowa's best offense is their special teams making a play in pretty much every season that we've covered this Michigan football team, a blocked punt or some type of special teams momentum shifting play has been something that you can count on. Now, Doman the weapon had a hell of a day punting. And that is, I think, a big play um, for your special teams to punt the ball with inside in the 10. I think he did it four times, in four times game, inside four the 12 in the 12. Yeah. Four within the 12 was the stat, which is outstanding. And that is momentum shifting. But other than that, have you been a little underwhelmed with special teams this year? 100%, man. I mean, uh, CJ was so close two times to blocking a punt in this game. I mean, less than half an inch away on the first one. Like, he probably should have got called for running into the kicker. You know, glad it didn't happen. But he was so close to blocking it. So it's like, I think they know that and getting very close in that aspect. Um, as far as the return game, kick return, you don't get too many options. So I'm never going to hang up there. But punt return. Uh, this game was alarming with Tyler Morris. Like, if you're going to call a fair catch, son, you got to catch the ball. You can't let it bounce. And if it's going to bounce, you got to be calling it out and letting your guys know. Resulted in a turnover. It's got uh, Pence, or Purdue some of their points early in this one. He got pulled. Thaw came in and it was kind of surprising because Thaw is normally the sure-handed, I'm always going to fair catch it. But he actually broke one for about 25 or 30 yards up the sideline, showed some flashes there. But then Frederick Moore on the later one ran down and ran straight into him full speed. And like, I thought he was concussed. Some people, you know, maybe thought he was dead as, as hard as he got hit, but he got up. Harbaugh said a hits, uh, lesser hits of, or hits have killed lesser men or something like that today. But he appears tough, appears to be the guy back there just because of his decisiveness. Morris still kind of figuring out too worried about making the big play instead of the right play. So although we're not getting the momentum shifter, it makes me feel better, at least in punt return, knowing we're going to have a guy back there that's going to make the right play until Cornelius or somebody can get closer to actually blocking one of those punts. See, you're acting completely mellow and chilled out about Jake Thaw, but when we were talking off air, you're like, Jake Thaw, baby, that's the, the Thaw guy. agenda is back. It lives. Thaw, yeah, exactly. There he, there he is. Yeah, well, that, that's the reality of this situation. The Thaw jersey's on its way. The Thaw mob, uh, they're outside of my house with signs. And There's I can't four even of get us, baby. <laughs> There's at least three. Uh, yeah, it's probably Thaw moving forward. But yeah, special teams, man. And I don't think that special teams coordinators should get a ton of credit for field goal kickers making their field goals. So what I look at is is like punt return execution and yep. punts and like how how is everyone executing? What is average field position and stuff like that? And just hasn't been the best year for special teams. So it hasn't cost us anything, but something to keep in mind if we're in one of these tight games and like special teams could be where you're kind of like, pacing and getting a little bit nervous i will say as far as return game you're 100 right but coverage we're one of the best coverage teams in the country i believe we're top 10 in the country in uh punt return coverage and kick return coverage i believe this team is deceptive a lot of that's domen's hang time too it is yeah it is the uh where was it the there's a i think we're one of the like higher teams in the big 10 and like punt return average which is kind of weird but yeah domen 
Doman's the weapon here. That was the dude. Every time he punted the ball, I stood up in the stands and I just screamed, yes. Like he had the one go out of bounds at the two yard line. Joe Taylor was already there waiting for it and make a good play. The ball goes out at the two, set him way back in the end zone. Oh man. That might've been the loudest I yelled all, all evening. Just like quiet as a church mouse in there. And then Andy just screaming for the punt. That is a ball knower and a ball lover, folks. It was delightful to see. And uh, uh, you touched on the kicking. Uh, James Turner, two for two. It's good to see him be very consistent. All the kicks just look money. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about the kicks. He looks very confident. And it was deceptively windy in the big house on Saturday. So that was nice to see. Since uh, Jake the make never took off for Jake Moody, should we just repurpose it? For James. Oh, yeah, but I mean James the yeah, you're right. <laughs> James the make didn't, didn't hit the same man. <laughs> it doesn't doesn't quite doesn't quite roll off the tongue. Well, it's like, like the, we, we had Jimmy. The litter in there. of structures similar. <laughs> we were working there. I think uh, the team calls him JT, which is just too simple because of the initials. I think a lot of people call him that. Um Jimmy Buckets is taken. Jimmy kicks. I don't know. James Ames. <laughs> gonna gonna leave the pod. <laughs> Hello, Andy. Andrew. Uh, <laughs> we can just call him Sir at this point. It's fine with me. He has earned it. I I love it, man. Yeah, James Turner really rounding into form. Uh, Tommy Doman also had an impressive year. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we will get to the defense. We will look around the Big Ten. Take uh, some of our takeaways from that. Look around college football. We will give our update on the sign stealing allegations. Got that and more right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we are back. We are righteous men. College football is very good. Let's keep it moving, sir. Let's talk about the defense in an effort that saw Michigan technically give up the most points. I mean, not technically. They did give up the most points they have all season. Came late in the game on the the sluggo route where they were finally able to get something going through the the uh, through the air. They got it to uh, Dion Burks, their best pass catcher. But this was late in the game, so really this thing was out of hand and was the two-field goal game for the majority of it. Hard to take anything away from this other than dominant defensive performance once again. It was such a statement, man. Like I said earlier in the pod, the defense only gave up one drive, sustained over five plays. That was the garbage time drive when Michigan was rotating in reserves at every position and mixing and matching and just trying to finish out the evening. Just impressive. Very impressive all around. Purdue knew early on they weren't going to be able to throw the football very well, so they kind of reverted back to just running zone read and just settling into it. Just could never get their, anything established. Like anytime they had like a decent play, it was either because Michigan had been rotating a freshman like DJ Waller in at corner or had a fourth string like Cam Good playing defensive tackle in this game. We love Cam Good, but he's lower on the depth chart for a reason. So it's like when the starters were all, were all out there, it was just a smothering performance and a reminder of how good this unit is. 
Purdue trying to get a lot of stuff going with quick outs, trying to get the ball into their receiver's hands and give them room to work. There was no room to work. Josh Wallace was incredible in this game. We'll go down position by position, but who was your man of the match on defense? There's a lot of names to choose from, but I'm going to go with Chris Jenkins on the interior. I thought maybe he listened to the pod last week where we were just praising Mason Graham so much and he wasn't getting enough love, but my God. He was just dominant in this game. They used him in a variety of different ways, out on the edge, on the interior, running stunts, setting picks, just doing all the little things on the inside. And it is just, um, it stands out on film how strong he is because on one play early on the Will Johnson interception, he commanded a triple team and was still getting penetration, just pushing two linemen and a running back backwards while Harrell wrapped around him and pressured the quarterback just an outstanding performance by him. One of his best showings of the season. Uh, yep. And that is going to touch on my swinging doors moment and probably my favorite sequence. And what I love about this is first of all, the interception, let's start there. Cause I just, that what I enjoy watching and Will Johnson, I enjoy watching that man play football, extremely physical interception, the way that yes. he's able to just use his body to push the other guy out of the way, not draw a pass interference, but just be physical. Looks like a veteran out there. That was incredible on the back end, but this is why you're the best man. This is great because anybody just watching on ball level, like number one ball, knower level. Number one is great pick by Will Johnson. Ball knower level two is like, man, that stunt from uh, Jalen Harrell really caused that. Ball knower level three is where you're like, the stunt that caused the interception was actually caused by Chris Jenkins just soaking up, swallowing men like a kaiju. And you're absolutely right that Chris Jenkins made that play happen. And uh, that's a good eye on that and just beautiful execution. And we're going to see a lot of those routes, these final three games, especially against Penn State and Ohio State, like Urban Meyer before their game on the Fox Noon pre-show said, it's going to be a slant fest because it's one of the easiest throws for inexperienced quarterbacks to make, one of the easiest in college to make based on the coverages and talent. You're going to see a ton of slants. And if Will Johnson is playing like that, is not getting caught on sluggos, got uh, to be aware of those. But if he's playing coverage like that tight, that is such a good sign. It just kind of makes me salivate for the matchup of him going up against Marvin Harrison Jr. in a couple weeks. But he's going to be tested, and this was a good sign of something to come. Yeah, how much does Will Johnson like playing Purdue? That's now three <laughs> picks in two seasons against Half Purdue. his pick like, total in his collegiate careers against the Boilermakers. Right, and how sick are they of seeing him, conversely. But loved, loved to see that, him putting on the turnover buffs, the uh, tradition that he started. That was awesome. That was definitely my favorite play. Uh, did you? That is pretty unassailably the swinging doors moment. But did you have anything else for favorite player sequence? Oh, man, there's there were a lot of different drives in this game that I liked, uh, but I would be remiss if I just didn't point out the play of Junior Colson in this one. I thought he was phenomenal, always in control. It was really funny, like the first play of the game, Maccabee hits like an 11-yard gain, and you're like, oh man, they're going to get some run. No, not tonight. Colson fit everything after that so perfectly, would scrape down, set the perimeter. Like He just had an outstanding game, just very much looked like an upperclassman out there. Looked like a fifth year the way he was playing. Barrett was excellent as a blitzer. Um, all the edge guys, I mean, pick a name. Braden McGregor, one time threw Maccabee down like a child, just grabbed him from behind and threw him to the ground. I mean, Josh Wallace was outstanding. Rod Moore had a few good plays in the end zone in this one. Like, I mean, pick your poison, man. It was a team effort, but so many people stood out still individually. 
yeah, we'll we'll go through every position group too because they all deserve some shine. But my Alvin Mack award for ferocity on the field goes to Junior Colson, the guy that most closely reminds me of Alvin Mack. And this pleases me greatly because you were a little too low on Colson for my liking. Not that you were low <laughs> on him, you were just like just for your liking. Know. Yeah, for my liking. For my liking, I, I mean, I'd like to see Jake Thaw levels of praise for Junior Colson. <laughs> he you know, he deserves I'll, it after this one, then. Yeah, and that's two games in a row now, yep. actually, where yep. the last two, Colson has looked much, much better. And I've always known it was there. My theory on this was that Colson was like, y'all up front are just taking too much of my action. I think yeah. he was like maybe a little disinterested. It's like uh, they used to run the first play of the game. Every game was to Ben Wallace because they're like, he's such a good defender. Yeah. Like we need to get him involved and get him interested early on. Cause like for the rest of the game, he's going to be doing dirty work. Junior Colson does a lot of dirty work, a lot of stuff. That's not like super flashy, getting sacks, interceptions, passes defended. He's doing like on top of a pile. He's in there ripping away at balls and being the force that's driving it backwards instead of letting it move two yards forward. He is huge in person too. I saw him getting off of the bus and you forget he's six three. Like he's walking eye level next to uh, Kenneth Grant. It's just like, how are you this big? Just a monster on and off the field. But yeah, man, this was a tremendous performance by him. Like I said, doing a lot of the dirty work really in between the tackles. He's come a long way as a blitzer. I think that's been one of the slept on developments in his game this year is helping create that pressure with stunts and everything else that he and Baird are being tasked with doing specifically. So yeah, man, he's entering a hot, he's on a hot streak right now, entering the most critical time of the season. And he is so much fresher this year compared to last year. I mean, last year he could barely leave the field all season. He was hurt against Illinois really badly and played the last couple games with that injury this year. All indications are he's hundred percent healthy, fresh, and probably ready to make a statement in a game against Penn state next week. And Abdul Carter, the linebacker who gets all the praise. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't want to spoil it. Uh, we'll be breaking that one down ad nauseum for the second pot of this week, but very much feeling a junior Colson game. Uh, maybe just a couple junior Colson's game to close yeah. this thing out. I mean, he's fresh, which is great. You know, we were talking about the bye week. We're usually like, oh, finally, we get a chance to get fresh. This week, we we're like, what's the point of this bye week? All we're going to do is lose momentum. We're completely healthy. Um, but no, momentum was salvaged. Let's go position by position. Let's start up front to the defensive line, which has I've watched enough ball to say that that's this is the best defensive line in all of college football. I said it a couple weeks ago, but now I just feel comfortable enough having watched pretty much every single team that's worth watching definitely everybody that's in like the top 40 and this is the best defensive line in the country and granted it's Purdue I'm not going to go too crazy about what we saw in this game particularly but you look at the body of work and you look at the depth and you mentioned the defensive ends which uh, let's start with the defensive ends because I truly believe this is the deepest that you can go without a drop off at defensive end that I've ever seen I still don't know who the best of this group is like every week we're, we're trying to rank them. We just did it last week where we were trying to rank a defensive end. We couldn't even separate the guys on the team. So extremely deep, extremely talented guys that do all the little stuff, um, particularly McGregor and Harrell, what they're able to do with setting an edge. And if the quarterback's rolling out, their ability to read that quarterback, stay with them, get their hands up and knock a ball down. That just like ruins timing. 
they're timing ruiners and they've they've had awesome seasons but not to be outdone Derek Moore and Josiah Stewart look like perhaps the more athletic um the more just if I had to pick a guy one-on-one time in and time out it'd probably be one of those guys but it's legit four deep legitimate very strong four deep no I agree with everything you said and we've touched on this earlier in the year about how last year it was pass rush by committee out of necessity like they had to do it because they didn't have a star. This year, it's just a luxury, an embarrassment of riches. It's like, let's keep them fresh, keep these guys rotating. Uh, they've been sticking more to the top four as well in these games, not going as deep into their bench, keeping them out there. And it's just been outstanding ball, man. All up and down the top four, you see what they're doing outside. You say, get their hands in the passing windows, attacking the ball. So when um, Jalen Harrell came on that stunt in the Will Johnson pick, look where he's pursuing. He's not running at Hudson Card. He's running at Hudson Card's right arm. That's what he's, he's focused on the ball. And I think that's such a veteran savvy little coach nuance of that's what you need to pursue. Ball disruption is one of their core pillars. So that's what he's going after. He's not like going to hug air if Hudson Card moves. He's pursuing where the football is. So he's staying really locked in, really in position. And all these guys are doing such a good job of doing that. Playing in discipline. Josiah Stewart took a few games early on uh, to understand his rush lane. Don't try to always make the big play. Just make your play. Do your 111th. And now he's a star in it. He is excelling in this role. He's so fast off the edge, which is such a good bend. Um, we've talked ad nauseum about the tackles, but like the edges in this game, man, really stood out to me. Mike Lombardi was on a podcast this weekend and had a good point talking about like if, if just playing like, you know, touch football in the yard together. Like if you count to three Mississippi and you're getting a rush, it's going to cause some problems. If you count to five Mississippi, everybody's going to get open. And like that's why a pass rush is so important. And we're going to see that in these next couple games. Yeah, that is breaking the game down to its simplest form. Oof. And you generally do not have five seconds in a Michigan pocket. And the the blitz packages have been really exotic <sighs> this year. I don't think we've even scratched the surface on that, too. I think that's something to really keep an eye on against Penn State. If you can't tell, we're excited that we're finally playing Penn what? State. We've mentioned that game like 20 times talking about Purdue. It's going to be a two-hour podcast, our Penn State breakdown. Like, I have so many thoughts position by position. Like, okay, here is why first and 10 and second and seven are going to decide this game. <laughs> no, no, you're, you're very wrong. It's actually third and sixes is where this thing's going to be. Water oh, lost. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Looking forward to it as well, man. Uh, anything else on the defensive ends? Uh, no, no, we said, said all we need to. Uh, defensive tackles didn't necessarily have one of the games where you're going to be like, oh my God, and sending a clip, but definitely a game where you go back and watch the tape and you're like, confirmed what you knew already about Michigan defensive tackles. Uh, Chris Jenkins, like you said, obviously a listener to out of the blue. I think that he was the best of the group on Saturday, which kind of what we expected coming into the year. And it's not like he's had a bad year. The other guys have just been insane, like otherworldly production from the defensive tackle position. Um, the way that Chris Jenkins and Mason Graham and Kenneth Grant can just seemingly swallow dudes up, which all right, maybe I could phrase that a little better, but like, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was calling him the kaiju, and I know like we tried to make the mutant stick for Chris Jenkins. I think I like kaiju more. If there's the KJ alliteration going on there, maybe we try this out, see if it sticks. I I'm fine with that. I love it. Just something a little fun in there, you know. Mix it up, and I mean, it's a good way to just describe what he does because it's just like a black hole, just absorbing people, just taking them away and opening up space for others. And again, his power is just such a difference maker. Even when he doesn't have leverage, like he's still moving people back. Like it's just, oh my God. In this game, you could just see it in spades. Like he could just always get disruption. And like, while he didn't always get home, 
Hudson Card would throw the ball too early because the ends were crashing, but also the interior is coming back in his face. Like it was all coming in and just collapsing around him. And that's when you have a sign of a good rush because they were eliminating some of those escape lanes. Right. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I would rather have, if it's just pressure from the outsides, I would rather have that. But when that pocket is collapsing from the interior and they're in, I mean, yeah. that's an envelopment. I mean, we're talking military strategy here. There's nothing to do about that. Absolutely nowhere to go. Uh, it's beautiful to behold. Beautiful to behold. Great day for the defensive tackles. Once again, linebackers, we already talked a little bit about junior Colson. Michael Barrett is a guy. I just think we're going to miss Michael Barrett. Like yeah. enjoy, like you just take him for granted. A guy that you, you know, like, oh, we've had him forever. He's been out there and he's been pretty good. He's above pretty good. Michael Barrett is a very good football player, particularly for his size limitations and what he's asked to do. Like that guy is all heart. So yeah, just enjoy him while we've got him. Um, has Ernest Houseman popped at all to you this year? Like he is the one guy I go back and rewatch and it's like, okay, yeah, there's Houseman, but I'm never like in my notes. Ernest Hausman need to talk about him for 20 minutes. Um, it's still been a good season. It's just been kind of a quiet season. The fact that he hasn't been a talking point is a good thing because he's been rotating in a lot and you haven't seen a drop off. Like he's had a few moments of some big plays, some big hits, a very heavy hit around in space. But I think the fact that he isn't like, you know, in the, in the notes of anything, it's like, yeah, serviceable. You don't see the glaring holes. Like when you saw Jimmy Rolder getting the early reps last season as a freshman, like it stood out that he was a freshman. Ernest Houseman doesn't stand out at all. He just fits right into the scheme, does what he needs to do and gets off the field. Like getting all of this experience, like if junior Colson comes back, those two are going to form just such a duo next year. Look, we also haven't talked about Nico Andrigetti much this season, but I don't necessarily know. That means he's having a hell of a year. Could <laughs> he's be. not, he's not, he's not repping with the first team either. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, anything else on the linebackers that you wanted to call out? No, just a consistent game all around, man. I think we're going to see some diverse packages with them, especially in blitz scenarios in the coming weeks. Yep. Uh, moving to the back end, the Will Johnson pick was definitely my adjust the britches moment for the week, uh, just because you get the defensive line involved in it too. And then Will Johnson, extremely physical on that. Outstanding. You'll love to see it. Um, and just another great Josh Wallace game, I think as a Very number good. two cornerback, like we kind of always set the, the comp as Channing Stribling. Cause he was up again, up next to Jordan Lewis yep. in that 2016 season. So we're like, all right, that should be the standard then, because you're going to have a lot of attention, people throwing away from Will Johnson. Uh, they decided to throw at Will Johnson, but that's going to be great tape that leads to more balls coming Josh Wallace's way. So his interception is coming soon. That's going to happen. Uh, looks to have good ball skills, but great tackler. So yes. I've just been very impressed with Josh Wallace all in all this year, like a guy that's probably going to go into the NFL and no one's really talking about that much at this point, but probably gets drafted. He's uh, super lanky, very physical. I love his physicality. Like he's just got a nastiness to his game. Like the interception's coming. It's inevitable. He's had a few hit his hands. I feel like one is definitely coming, but yeah, just the physicality he plays with is rare. I really think it's, Credit to Steve Klinkscale, the uh, cornerbacks coach at Michigan. He's brought an edge to this room ever since he arrived. And they just play just so downhill, like everybody's tackling. And that helps you so much in stopping the run when you have help from the outside. So these guys can't bounce it and get out there. You're forcing them back into the interior, back into your big dogs. And he is just such a willing guy to do that. And I like now he's playing with less cushion 
on the outside. So like you'll see him back there in some zones. He's a little bit closer. So he's feeling more comfortable, willing to break on the ball, not worried about getting beat as deep. So he's getting comfortable. And as he gets comfortable, he just continues to improve and produce even more. I knew you'd have a Josh Wallace soliloquy. Uh, that was your pick for uh, defensive player of the game, was it not? Uh, yeah, I think I think it was. Yeah, I believe it was. Okay. Yeah, and you weren't far off. You had a hell of a game. I was very <laughs> impressed with Wallace, but got to give it to the guy on the other side if you're going to give it to a, a member of the secondary there. Uh, safety group, your thoughts? Safeties were good in this game. Uh, one thing we should say on the corners: uh, DJ Waller lost the ball deep on the ball. Oh yeah, but good call. That's a freshman. It's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be all right. He was out there like fairly early. That Very. tells me this is a guy they expect to be a big part of the secondary moving forward. They do this a lot, particularly in the secondary. Those aren't guys you want coming in next year being super raw and never having had in-game experience. Yes. And the schedule does not afford you the ramp up period that it did this year. So these are critical, critical in-game moments for Keon Sab, for Dewan Waller, um, anything, anything that we can get anytime we can get Jire Hill, but getting those early, guys on the field. A lot of in this one too early on. Yeah. Getting those guys on the field. Like you might be like, why are they doing that now? There is 100% a purpose behind that. Yeah. But uh, moving to the safeties, I uh, thought it was one of the best Rod Moore games I've seen all season. Like, he really yeah, looked good back the, there. I'm back. Yeah. yeah, he had a, a good tip in the corner of the end zone to break up a touchdown. He had a good tip, which unfortunately negated Will Johnson's second pick. But it's like, if the ball's there, you can't not hit it. You don't know he's behind you. Just He was all over the field, uh, played still limited snaps because they were rotating a bunch of people, Keon Sab, Quentin Johnson. Uh, but I thought he and Makari Page played really well in this one. Um, your boy Makari was the leading tackler in the game as well. Let's go. Let's go. There was my pick for the uh, guy I wanted to see have a big game. Sure. So it was a good game for him. And Macari Page games are generally going to be pretty quiet. But this was probably my favorite day from the safeties it's all good. season. I know we've had like some Keon Sab picks and stuff. But seeing the full the full group out there healthy and seeing all those guys and seeing Rod Moore back at full speed, it was just a joy to behold. Like those guys moving around. And to be honest, like it probably wasn't the best performance at the secondaries had all season it was just my favorite because i just like this group a lot i really like the personnel back there well i mean it's it's, it's still a smothering performance like mm -hmm. we talked about the drives leading up to you take out the last drive like they're one throw away from like pitching pro like giving up like 50 yards or something crazy i mean they were just dominant at this one at times but it was because of the rotations and everything michigan was doing with the lead to get the youngsters reps that like cost them to give up any but it's still the number one pass defense in college football. Yeah, hard to take anything away from them there. Um, all right, so anything that we missed here, anything that you wanted to cover? Um, our predictions, we were both a little off on those. We were we really went for it on those ones. I think I had 55 to 7, and you had them like 51 to 3. We weren't messing around, but you know, we we call it like we see it. Uh, came up a little shy, didn't quite get the cover unless you got in on 32 and a half. Yeah, I, oh, I was so close. That last touchdown really screwed me from a gambling perspective. Um, we thought it was going to be big. It was still a big blowout. I mean, it was 35 points until garbage time. Uh, the one last thing I wanted to touch on, which made me so mad, is Blake Corum had the best pass pro rep of his career when he flipped the middle linebacker, but then the linebacker grabbed his face mask, pulled him to the ground, and Corum got called for a holding 
I was irate in the stands when that happened. It was such a beautiful pass pro rep. It was teach tape, and they called a penalty on him for getting his face mask ripped down. It was reminiscent of Karan Higdon in uh, 2018 at Northwestern where they called a holding on him, and Joel Klatt was like, what the hell are they looking at? He's not even – he's over here. He's not touching anybody. Like, that's what it reminded me of. It was one of the best pass pro reps I've seen this season, though. Extremely egregious. They called that one out on the broadcast, too. Um, I heard it called out on the uh, Inside Michigan studio with John Jansen. They called it out. Just like, I don't understand how you make that call. Definitely, that's what we reserve the the use of the word egregious for, is things like that. So, Every man knows how scary it can get when going for a close shave below the belt. That's why I trust Manscaped for all my sensitive areas. Their newest package contains the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. Their fifth generation trimmer features two interchangeable next gen skin safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. It also has dual LED spotlights to provide contrast on multiple skin tones, three length setting combos, and perhaps best of all, it's waterproof. Also included is a travel case and even a travel lock feature to avoid any accidental powering and or weird looks in the airport. Join the 5 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped for all their grooming needs and use the promo code BLOCKM20 to get free shipping and 20% off your order. Head to manscaped.com and use that promo code BLOCKM20 at checkout for 20% off off of your entire order. All right, sir. College football rankings will be released here sometime tonight. Do you predict any big changes? Might see Bama move up a little bit. I don't know if they're going to take over Oregon or anything like that, but I think it's really going to be pretty much hold serve. Like this is the weekend where you might see some shakeups. Like obviously Missouri is going to drop from last week. I think Texas could be a team that falls a little bit after really struggling with Kansas State. But at the top, I think the front four is going to hold. Yeah, they very well could. Uh, Georgia does have a case for number one over Ohio State now with that ranked win over Missouri. I thought, you know, there's definitely a case there. Struggle against Rutgers. And, you know, a lot of this is based on strength of schedule. That Notre Dame win doesn't necessarily look as good now. Good I did hit did hit that one with uh, Notre Dame over Clemson. Uh, I missed on my other two ones, Bama, as you alluded to, pulling it out versus LSU, putting themselves back in the college football playoff conversation. And then USC just flaming out in Caleb Williams' final year. I kind of find myself feeling bad for him. Like, put him on any any team, and it's probably a little bit better than what they've got at USC. I wouldn't say any team. Like, you can't just go through them on Northwestern and go win the Big Ten championship. But they really, USC did, did him a disservice by not giving him a competent offensive line and defense out there. They, they have the talent, though. Like, they've recruited well. They have. They just haven't developed anything there. It's very surprising. First time under Lincoln Riley's leadership that uh, USC hasn't been ranked. That's, that's mind-blowing as well. But in this conference that, you know, it's not the most physical. It's not a lot of teams play any defense that way. And they're still struggling to this degree. And like the, the four touchdown loss to Notre Dame now just looks embarrassingly bad for USC. 
sure does. Alex Grinch was let go from USC, their defensive coordinator. There was already some rumblings of Lincoln Riley uh, fielding calls from the NFL. And just after year two, when everyone thought that this guy was going to change the game and bring USC back to prominence, they are officially, I mean, they were already out of bowl contention or out of uh, college football playoff contention, but now I don't even think they're going to go to a New Year's Six bowl game. The bowl game's probably a Caleb Williams go ahead and sit this one out and get ready for the NFL. Um, let's go ahead and look around the Big Ten, unless there was another college football big picture takeaway from last week. Uh, one Michigan thing for USC, a uh, rough look for our boy Sean Nua, who left Michigan to go to USC and be defensive mm. line coach. So struggling there. I don't know what's going to happen, but if uh, Lincoln Riley leaves in the offseason, like, there could be some house cleaning, especially on the defensive side of the football. Oh yeah, he would definitely be gone. So maybe Sean knew you want to come come back around. I'm sure we can find. There's an offensive analyst job that just opened up. <laughs> I know that for a fact. Strategy position, you know, we need some of that. Sean, you you, you are you a veteran? Do you serve? <laughs> What's your thoughts on disguises? Are you pro anti? How willing to wear one? You're gonna be. You think with enough confidence, you could just walk on, you know, Eastern Michigan sideline. Am I gonna say anything to you? You're kind of a big guy. Sean, how comfortable are you with a grappling hook? <laughs> He's going to rappel down the Big Ten building. We've got to look at some files. It's not Watergate. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, actually, let's touch on that before we get into the Big Ten, uh, because we do need to touch on the sign-stealing allegations update. First update is it needs a name. I don't want to have to keep calling it the sign-stealing allegations update. It needs like a clever, you know, deflate gate type of name. Sign gate um, doesn't but- hit. Sign gate does not hit. And also, like, do we have to keep calling things gate? Watergate was like 50 plus years ago. Most people don't even know what that is. Yeah, well, most people are stupid. So that's also a reason for that. Um, sign. Yeah, I don't know. What do you what do you think? Like, stop sign. I saw people calling it uh, Steel Team Six. Like, that was his the like- best network of spies. I like that. But that's giving him too much credit. Like, the Fair. guy... Uh, the guy was running this on like his personal MacBook with a Venmo and a StubHub account. Like it's just not tactical enough to have earned that. So I don't know if I could get there. I don't know. I was thinking along the lines of like an Ocean's Eleven themed. Like what's a great heist? Like a great crime caper. You talk about giving him too much credit. You want to compare him to Danny Ocean? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking more of like maybe one of the lesser 13s, like maybe the uh, kind of like one Saul, of the, op- you know? the Mormon brothers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's uh, yeah, St- Stallions is like a unique last name, so there's got to be a pun there or something, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, that is the homework for all of the out of the blue listeners. This thing needs a name. I can't keep calling it that. Like something along the lines of like the Great Train Robbery, but based around this weirdo Connor Stallions wearing disguises and going to see Central Michigan games. Hey, babe. But speaking of Connor Stallions, uh, officially resigned, put out a statement. Uh, uh, proclaiming Harbaugh's innocence, saying it was all him orchestrating this, refusing to cooperate in any NCAA investigation, just kind of falling on the sword. So I haven't said, we haven't said a lot of good things about this and all the attention and all the negative publicity he's brought and scrutiny of the program, but you know, golf clap for falling on the sword, Connor. Yeah, I feel like this is uh, more complicated than, you know, recovering from an addiction. We're in like stage five of the cycle now where it's actually kind of fun. We're to the disguises and uh, and rumors and hearsay part of the the 
scandal, I guess, which is which is really great. The Big Ten was on a call with many of the coaches, reportedly calling for Harbaugh to be fired. Santa Ono, Michigan president, responds, steps in, said that there should be due process in an email that was put out recently. Chris Bayless from On3 reported that Michigan is launching their own investigation into the private investigation firm that hacked the computers supposedly because the actual obtaining of this information that kicked the whole thing off was itself illegal. So it's getting spicy. It's getting weird. Uh, I'm actually having a little bit more fun with it now than when we were like ripped down the banners, Michigan or cheaters. Uh, now it's like, I don't know. We're, we're like Woodward and Bernstein out here to a lesser degree. <laughs> it's, it's become so much more fun in recent weeks. Like a lot of things help, you know, like the, uh, Harbaugh stuff, like being separate as far as we know from all this has been good. So yeah, they had the the Big Ten uh, coaches had a call with Harbaugh off of it and all cried and wanted him fired. And then Santa Ono's claiming for due process. He met with the commissioner and told Tony Petiti to basically get lost. Like, I'm not going to fire my head coach or just willingly suspend him. Like, I'm. are you kidding me? It's a death sentence here. So that's been something uh, interesting to watch. Today, the AP reported that an ex-Big Ten staffer shared spreadsheets with Michigan uh, that he had obtained as a sign stealer for another school and then has proof that he shared it with fellow programs and like some sort of collusion against Michigan. So that's a fun conspiracy rabbit hole to go down. Like a lot of twists and turns, a lot of what have yous, who done it's here, stuff to piece together. But this is wild, man. I mean, this is insane. Uh, the, uh, uh, today, officially, the Big Ten didn't present allegations against Michigan from the NCAA's investigation. But of note from that, the NCAA can still not link Harbaugh to knowing any of this, which really hamstrings the Big Ten being able to suspend under their sportsmanship guidelines. But if you think, like, boil it down to brass tacks, I think Tony Petiti's trying to save face with the rest of the conference, saying, hey, guys, I tried. Even if he attempts to suspend him, Michigan files an injunction, Harbaugh keeps coaching. But he's got to show just a little bit of force here, but he knows it's not going to go anywhere. And I think Harbaugh is going to be fine the rest of the year, and this thing plays out in the offseason. I'm starting to lean that way myself because think about what a dangerous precedent that sets if Michigan 100%. goes and hires a private investigator firm and they're like, all right, well, we didn't find sign stealing, but we did find that one of your ball boys is actually a pedophile. <laughs> so that's on you now. And uh, you're going to jail, straight to jail. Straight like, to jail. what are we doing? How? What are you culpable for? You don't know what these people are doing in their free time. So that rule that whatever's happening in your program falls on your head, I just categorically don't agree with and should not happen at with low-level staffers. Like, you can't. I'm sorry, you can't know what every single person is doing with their free time. And that's ridiculous to assume that you could and should be held responsible for that. Yeah, I mean, that's like coming after Tim Cook and being like, hey, there's a guy at an Apple store in Lexington stealing phones. It's your fault, Tim. It's like, (laughs) no, it's really not. Like, I mean, if there is a system of noncompliance that's been established and let go by the head coach, that's different because he's creating an atmosphere where that stuff is accepted and tolerated and empowers wrongdoing. But if that's not present and this guy is just acting rogue on his own volition, there's literally nothing you can do to stop that. I mean, hell, it'd be awesome to eliminate all crime and just be able to spot it by looking at a guy in his resume and being like, oh yeah, he'll never go videotape games and dress in disguise and watch the Chippewas, but you can, there's, it's never going to be 100%. You just can't guarantee these things as much no. as you'd like to be able to. I'm with you, man. I was also having a conversation with my dad. So shout out to Ron for, for j- jarring Ron. this idea loose. 
great guy, Ron. Uh, we were talking about how TCU really did the absolute best thing you could do with having this information, and that's utilizing it against your opponent. It's not sexy, but do you want to know the reason why we won World War II? Other than war bonds, let me don't get me started on war. <laughs> don't get me started on war bonds. But literally, it's because we figured out their signals. We we decoded the German enigma, and we were able to steal Japanese signals. But the key was we couldn't let them know that we knew. Like that was the whole spycraft game within the game. With is like we can only give them so much. We've got to make little sacrifices here so that they don't know that we know. Like what info like that we have all their information and TCU did that that like subterfuge spy craft like it's kind of interesting the game within the game like it's not sexy obviously you'd rather be like oh we won because Aiden Hutchinson removed a man's head that's way cooler but like this is this is just kind of part of the game and yeah if everyone knew that Michigan was in on it you're you're idiots for not just exploiting that to your advantage or maybe they all tried and it didn't matter. Yeah, I mean, hey, shout out to Alan Turing, you know, did some wonderful things in the war for the boys. Um, yeah, man, I mean, this is, again, like, it's a minimal competitive advantage. And, like, it's been going on for so long. And the fact now that it's, like, is blowing up in Michigan's face, but now it's blowing up in everybody's face. Like, there was a report as well today, I believe it was from Sports Illustrated, talking about how Illinois had Michigan signs last year and a bunch of different stuff. This has been going on. Like, if you want to get rid of it completely – Put the calls in the helmet. Let's do that. Let's keep it moving. But it's like going after all of this and like blowing it out of proportion is really just shining a light on how little a lot of people know about football and the game within the game. It's not just our boys are going out there and they're going to give it the good try. 11 on 11, make the best man with bullshit. Like grow up. Like it has not been like that for a long time. I'm sorry to cuss there, but it's just like, it's not how it is. It's never how it's been. It's all about exploiting the gray areas. Everybody's done it. And it's funny to watch a few people get knocked off their high horses in the media recently. Yeah. Nowhere else could you just go accuse someone of something and be like, fire them before we have any evidence on that. They like, hadn't even no, started I mean, an investigation and they were calling for a firing. Like, what is that? <laughs> that's ridiculous. Like, imagine you use the, the Apple comparison. Like, what if the CEO of Microsoft is like, here. Um, I, according to me and no one else and no evidence like CEO of Apple's been doing this, this, and this. So I expect him fired. Like, yeah, what? It's no, you're going to get sued for even accusing someone of that anywhere outside of the NCA, but we're just in this little vacuum where the rules don't exist. So good for Santa. Ono. Yes. We're going to update the Santa power rankings. Um, I mean, I've got them above claws personally, but it was it's been a long time. It was close. Uh, definitely the off season for Claus. So Ono's got to be number one. Maybe Claus can have a run in December. But if Harbaugh's still <laughs> coaching this thing into the playoff, I think it's going to be Ono for the year. Yeah, Ono takes it for the year. Like there's nothing that Claus could bring me at this point in my life that I would enjoy more than a Michigan national championship. There's the fact right there. Yeah, only Santa Ono can bring me that, and Jim <laughs> Harbaugh. Uh, around the Big Ten, the Big Ten West remains a five-alarm chemical fire. Still no idea where this thing's going. Uh, Iowa, four and two in the Big Ten West. Minnesota, three and three. Nebraska, three and three. Wisconsin, three and three. Northwestern, still not out of it at two and four. I mean, every year it's an abject disaster, but the Iowa-Northwestern game was peak levels of disaster. I mean, you and I were just having a great old time. This was cinema, a cinematic Big Ten West performance. Zero, zero at half. Uh, I love how we talked about this race last week. And then four of these teams lost this week. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> Iowa was the only team to win. They played Northwestern, beat them. But Wisconsin lost to Indiana. Nebraska lost to Michigan State. I forget who Minnesota lost to, but they also lost, like, I think it was Illinois. Like, it was just a bad weekend for the Big Ten West. But after all the kicking and screaming after Cooper DeGene's putt return didn't count, they're back on top, baby, and on track for Indianapolis. Whoever the hell we play in Indianapolis, it's going to be a laughing stock. I'm also going to miss Brian Ferentz. I've realized 100%. that now. Like, I was having so much fun with the 0-0 at half and like, oh my God, how many overtimes would they let a 0-0 tie go to before like someone stepped in and we're like, please, for the love of God, like make it stop. I thought that's where we were headed. Uh, ended 10-7, to but still should have had the, pull, the plug pulled on it earlier on. We're just not going to get that when Ferentz goes. Sadly, whoever they bring in, um, even if it's this mute kid that runs out around outside of my um, apartment complex, I think he's going to be better than Brian Ferentz. Jared, the total yards in this game, Iowa finished with uh, 10 points and 169 yards. Northwestern <laughs> had seven points and 170 yards. Northwestern averaged 2.8 yards per play and Iowa averaged three yards per play. <laughs> Didn't Iowa have 10 first downs with less than 100? Yes, it was like 10 first downs, but 91 yards at one point in this game. And I was like, how is that even possible? It doesn't make any sense. They ran, um, they had 14 total first downs. Um, this this stat sheet's just embarrassing. They had the ball for 30 minutes and 18 seconds. Northwestern had it for 29-42. I mean, this is about as split down the middle as you're going to get in a bad Big Ten West game. And, oh, man, I loved every second of it. Just pure cinema. And, man, Brian Ferentz is he's going to have some – working at next year i'm telling you what that guy's gonna have some tales to tell we will miss you brian ferentz the last year at iowa uh, ohio state survives rutgers this is just their formula late in the games get that one last score to make it look like it was a little better than it was but rutgers was giving ohio state all that they could handle um we just have so much good tape to go back and, and look at to study to be like how do you attack this ohio state team where there were some games in years past where it was just like kind of depressing you'd be like i don't see a weakness with their offense i see a lot of different ways we can attack particularly our defense attacking this ohio state offense i mean kyle manung guy was running crazy in this game he finished with 24 carries a buck 59 uh six and a half yards in attempt and for comparison manung guy against michigan i know transitive property doesn't directly like work but he finished with 11 carries for 27 yards against michigan like manung guy went crazy in this game, it was very close. I mean, and this was coming with like a bad Wimsett game. Like against Michigan, Wimsett was really dialed in. In this one, he was missing a lot of easy throws. And this is a possession game with 10 minutes to go in the fourth quarter. I mean, this was an absolute dogfight. But I mean, you and I caught it early in the year, though. We said Rutgers was a good team. I mean, Michigan still handled business and won by 24 and starters sat majority of the fourth. But like, this is what exactly what we were talking about. Good showing by them. And I still feel the exact same as I did before the game about Ohio State as I do now. 100%. Fascinating question here. Which team is better, Rutgers with Caleb Williams or current USC? 100% Rutgers. Right? Rutgers, their offensive line, their defense is so much better. Their offensive line like, is really good. The Kyle Nung guy piece of this, what they would do in the offense, like, yeah. Put Caleb Williams there. No, just like, would you take away the USC gloss 
and you just look at it for what it is next to each other. It's like, give me Rutgers. At a boy, that's a man that you know. I don't necessarily need lobster bisque. Give me a nice cut of meatloaf. Just yes. some pork shoulder. A simple man. I don't need lobster bisque. <laughs> what a perfect endorsement of what USC is. They are lobster bisque. It's unnecessary. Fair, very unnecessary. Get, meatloaf serves a purpose. Meat, of course, meatloaf serves a purpose. Hearty, filling, American food. Oh, man. <laughs> I love it, sir. We've uh, we've we've certainly gone off the rails here. Anything else that you wanted to touch on Big Ten around college football? Anything that we missed? Uh, no, Maryland got their or not Maryland, excuse me. Penn State got their rhythm against Maryland with a fifty-one to fifteen blowout. Uh, found some down the field success, but again, not taking too much away from it because it's Maryland. Uh, we're going to find out everything we need to know about them in our breakdown coming up in that game this weekend. Uh, nationally, you and I were pretty close. A lot of our predictions. Like uh, Missouri c- covered against Georgia, had the ball with a chance to take the lead with eight minutes to go in the fourth uh, at the 50 before turning it over. Uh, Kansas State should have beaten Texas. My God. Like they just had the kicking operation solved. They would have won that game. We were right about Oklahoma State. Alan Bowman thrown for 330 in the final oh, installment of Bedlam. That was awesome to see them take down Brent Venables and the Sooners. Um, yeah, man, besides that, Virginia uh, – Louisville t- tackled Virginia Tech, so it seems like a collision course with uh, Florida State and the ACC. And the Pac-12 remains a Pac-12, man. Washington got it done against USC. Oregon rolled cow what you expected. And the Jedfish agenda is alive and well with win over UCLA. Ooh, Jedfish. That man's going to get some phone calls, I'm telling you, this offseason. I've been super impressed with that. Yeah, shame about Bedlam going away. I was able to watch Oklahoma, it. Oklahoma State. Why would you ever get rid of that game? That is just so much fun. I enjoy it every single year. This was a great installment. Ollie Gordon is making a late push for the Heisman. Dude is a beast. Dog. Um, dog like ton of fun glad i was able to tune in and watch them uh missouri they uh that was the first time i was able to really tune into missouri and watch them they're good Uh, man yeah i was kind of like not in on them but when i actually watched them chris abrams drain uh, another one of the ball knowers challenge guys that we should have mentioned last week he's awesome in the secondary i really like that guy um who else did you mention in there USC, Washington. Yeah, Washington. I just, an enigma, but against better defenses, I just don't know what that's going to look like. I don't I don't buy it, man. Similar things like what the Miami Dolphins are struggling with right now. Like, they look really sexy against these teams that aren't as physical. But when you play a physical defense like the Good Eagles, problem. Bills, or Chiefs, all the speed slows down. The game condenses. And I think that's something similar that's going to happen to these, like, big, sexy offenses late in the season. Yeah, I mean, if we're we're definitely looking ahead here, especially since we've got our two hardest matches coming down the pike. But I do like the way we line up against Washington, Florida, Florida State. Now, like they're officially in my. I'm not afraid of them. I think Louisville is going to give them all they can handle yeah. in that championship game too. Really excited for that. It's, so it's it's a big weekend coming up. A ball man. Uh, we'll break down some other games. And I mean, Ole Miss, Georgia's coming up. Ole Miss got another good win against Texas A and M and a feisty defense. Uh, Washington, Utah is this weekend. So we're going to find out if uh, Utah, I mean, beat the hell out of Arizona State uh, coming yeah, off that do. loss to Oregon. So I think they're going to be very locked in to knocking off Washington, giving them their first loss of the year. So a lot of games to unfold still. So whatever the rankings are tonight, like we're still going to see a lot of movement in the coming weeks. And it all starts this weekend with the big matchups. 
Sure does, including a top 10 matchup in the Big Ten that we will Ooh. be covering with the second podcast of this week. We will go deep in on that one. Should have Kellen Voss from Mason Brew, great website on at some point to talk basketball. But we are going to be locked in with you for the final stretch. It is November. Football is upon us. It is very good. And we are entering the champion stretch, folks. Gets no better than this. There's nobody I'd rather be doing it with than my co-host, Andy Bailey. That's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Make sure you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever. I'm Jared. That's Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.